Welcome to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am your host, Neil Pollock, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. I wanted to say a special hello this week to our listeners in Albania and Poland who have uh, given us the honor of uh, making us one of the top-rated entertainment podcasts in those countries for the last several weeks, even months, and hopefully someday we'll be able to provide an Albanian and Polish language translation of this podcast, but you seem to be listening to it in English as well, so I still have some time to develop my skills in your native languages on Duolingo. Thank you for listening, and thanks to everyone from all around the world, including the United States of America, our home country, who are listening to and enjoying this show. And we have an excellent show for you this week, as always. I'm going to talk to contributor Jenny Parrott, who will be making her debut on this podcast, and she's going to talk to me about Griselda, which is a terrific show on Netflix about uh, a female cartel boss in Miami in the 1970s. Spectacular TV, the best thing I've seen all year on screen, large or small. So please check it out and stay tuned. But first, Stephen Garrett, which rhymes with Parrot, but they're not related, is going to be here to preview this year's Oscars telecast. We're going to handicap the winners of some of the major categories. Our knowledge of film is infinite and our predictions are pure gold. We'll be right back after this musical interlude. Now that the Super Bowl is in the books, it's time for the next big betting extravaganza to come along. I'm not talking about the NBA All-Star Game. No one really cares who wins that. I'm talking about the Oscars. And we are laying odds for the Oscars today for you. Well, not specifically laying odds, although I did write a piece in Book and Film Globe where I lay the odds for Best Picture. Uh, but Stephen Garrett and I are going to talk about what we think uh, is going to win. You know, there, there are some, we're not going to cover every category. We're not going to cover... Um, you know, sound design, even though it's it's important, but, you know, we can't talk about everything. We're just going to talk about some of the major um, categories that people are going to be, be laying money on. And first, we're going to start with Best Picture. Uh, we have 10 films nominated for Best Picture. Let us immediately eliminate American Fiction, which is not going to win. <laughs> Biased. Look at I'm you. I'm not biased. Well, that's just the first alphabet. What a white guy say to think. Come on. It's alphabet- that could win. alphabetically first. Uh, on the list. You could have 40 movies. The only movie that's going to win is Oppenheimer, obviously. Well, okay, sure. It doesn't even matter sure. what the other one It's are. just hilarious that Oppenheimer and Maestro are, are next to each other because Maestro is so bad and yet still nominated for Best Picture. Oh, I liked Maestro. No, you didn't like no, it. No, I don't like Maestro. Yeah. I uh, That's definitely not going to win. Um, Past Lives is definitely not going to win. It's a kind of a small film. Uh, you know, yes, Oppenheimer is going to win. But we're talking about laying odds here. So if you're going to make a, uh, let's call it a value bet on an upset, my pick for the upset, in case Meister doesn't win, if you're looking to actually win money, because you can't win money betting on Oppenheimer. Like there are Vegas odds makers who are saying you have to bet a thousand to win a hundred. So let's say you bet $5,000 to win $500 and Oppenheimer somehow doesn't win. That's a really bad, that's a bad bet. So my, my value pick for best picture is the zone of interest. Mm, I knew you were going to say that. You love that movie. It's a great movie. I do love. It's a great movie. I do love it, um, and I do think it probably was, other than Oppenheimer, maybe the best picture of last year. It was you know, the most innovative, the most relevant, the most profound, and just just an excellent film uh, down the line. You could also maybe um, 
try to spend a little money betting on Anatomy of a Fall, mm. which got it's not going to win, but it got best it got a best picture nomination, and again, it's the kind of movie that the Academy does tend to like. Well, I think they tend to like it more and more now that they've opened up the Academy membership to be more and more international, and there are more international films sneaking into the Best Picture category like Zone of Interest. And Anatomy of a Fall. Those are the two. And then then you have some sort of mainstream pick. Like, I suppose you could be a Barbie stan and go for Barbie. You know, Sarah Stewart and I talked a couple of weeks ago about the Oscar snubs for Barbie was still nominated for Best Picture. It's not going to win, but it deserves to be on the list. You know, you and I gave a really hard time to The Holdovers when it first came out. People like it, apparently. Yes, and that's the thing. I, I think, And I think The Holdovers had a huge um, bump around Christmas time. Well, it's a Christmas movie, right? Like Die Hard, you know? So these movies get bumps. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody... But even but but even more than Die Hard, you know, n- n- nothing, no one dies in the holdovers except for a couple of careers. Oh, hey, oh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's going to win. But there was a moment there. I was thinking like, oh, my God, is the holdovers going to win Best Picture? It's kind of like it would be it'd be a Green Book style up to, uh, upset. But Green Book was not up against anything like Oppenheimer. There are no kind of Green Book style movies. I guess you could argue that American fiction might be that if it did have more traction, if it was more in the kind of public conversation. It is much more than I thought it would be. And I think that's a great thing because I, I like that movie a lot. But there, I don't think there are any dark horses here. I think it's such, you know what it is? I think it's a, a, I think a lot of people like The Front Runner a lot. And I think Oppenheimer checks so many boxes, like the the whole Christopher Nolan, it's is, you know, it's his time or, you know, let's have a weighty biopic. Let's have a serious subject that's relevant to today. You know, all of the um, talk back and forth about AI is having an Oppenheimer moment. There was a zeitgeisty and of course the zeitgeisty bubblegum Barbenheimer, you know, thing. So it just, I think the stars have aligned in a way that is going to make everybody very happy when that wins. So I, I just, I don't see a, a Dark Horse upset anymore. It's not going to be a movie anyone's upset over. I, I think anything it's amusing, yeah. I don't know if it's amusing, but interesting. The Killers of the Flower Moon was, you know, when the trailers first started appearing was sort of your de facto front runner. And it did make it uh, as a nominee, but it, it doesn't doesn't have a chance. Um, you know, it's pro- it, it would probably be my fourth or fifth pick. And we haven't even discussed Poor Things, which of course isn't going to win. Yeah, that's another one, you know. I could see that getting technical things, right? Like set design, costume design, anything really showing flashy, you know, Academy members seem to really go for and vote for. Maybe, maybe set design, uh, if they like a a little, a little steampunk look. Uh, You know, (laughs) it's, I mean, looking at this best picture list, it's really like one of the better ones in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. The only one on there that's a true dog, in my mind, is Maestro, which I think is is a terrible film. Oh, I liked it. I liked it. And American Fiction. This, for me, except for the, the holdovers, is the bow wow for me. I just could not. Mm. I, I've, I've warmed to it a bit. Mm. Just, a, just a bit. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I still don't hold it near and dear to my heart. But I mean, I, I, I think that a year when Oppenheimer wins is, it's a good year. And it's a movie that people actually uh, will watch from time to time. You know, sometimes, right. best picture, sometimes things win best picture and then vanish forever. Like, like Coda. <laughs> has anyone has anyone uh, watched Coda since I know, no. right? Like Nomadland, Nomadland. Uh, no, yeah, no one's Wither watching Nomadland. Nomadland. <laughs> All right. So speaking of poor things, let's talk about best actress or actress in a leading role, or as Mad Magazine once called it, actress in a seated role. Uh, 
<laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, so we've got. I mean, obviously, I, I would say that you know, of your, you have you have five choices here. You have Annette Benning playing Diana Nyad in Nyad, um, which is a movie on Netflix that no one has seen, but I saw I saw the trailer for it on Netflix. Uh, Lily Gladstone from Killers of the Flower Moon, who was quite good. Uh, Sandra Huller from Anatomy of a Fall. Carrie Mulligan. Uh, who did a passable Boston accent <laughs> in Maestro, and then Emma Stone yes. for Poor Things. I think of your uh, of those five, uh, Gladstone and Stone are Stones. They're both Stones and uh, Stones. The yeah. gl- Glad and Sad Stone, and they are. Um, I think you're you're definitely gonna um, see a competition between those two. Those are your top two. And you think Sandra Huller is like a like it's a it's an honor to be nominated, but she. I think she was great. She was great. She was great, and she was yeah. great in the zone of interest. Speaking yeah. of the zone of, and she, which she also could have been nominated for, but I don't, I don't think she's going to win. I, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a tough call. I, I think that um, it's not the only reason she would win, but the politics of the moment kind of lean in uh, Lily Gladstone's direction. I think they do. I think also it doesn't. Uh... With Emma Stone, it's a little more complicated and interesting in that she produced Poor Things. She was one of the main producers of it. She's the main reason it got made. And it's clearly one of these projects, I don't want to say a vanity project, but a passion project where an actor wants to play a role, really develops it, is um, integral to it being made. And so her Best Actress Award, if she were to get it, would recognize her potentially as a producer, which is one of those... uh, you know, where she's not going to win as we, as we discussed. So I could see people being sympathetic to that, but, but Gladstone, I, I also gave a very good performance. Hasn't won before. Emma Stone has already won an Oscar. So I think it might be Gladstone and maybe also one of the few, if only awards that killers uh, gets that people will make sure to award to it because it just fits so well. Well, let's also um, be clear. Like Emma Stone was extremely good in poor things, but what's that, what's that, oh, uh, yeah. what's that, um, that uh, Robert Downey Jr. line from um, uh, Tropic Thunder, never go full retard. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, Emma Stone goes full retard. And then, and then, and then the opposite, then full genius uh, in, in poor things. And so it's like a very, sh- <laughs> it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the kind of showy role that, uh, yeah. that the Academy loves. Where yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon Gladstone actually play, plays a human being. You know, yeah. not n- yeah. not a not a uh, a genius Frankenstein prostitute hooker. <laughs> <laughs> that was the all the working title, I think. Genius prostitute. Uh, it's like it's like fr- Franken hooker for uh, for the, the the smart set. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, actor in a leading role, um, we have Bradley Cooper as Maestro. LOL. No, um, Coleman. <laughs> Coleman Domingo playing Bayard Rustin in Rustin. I mean, he was great. I haven't seen really Rustin. Great. I'm Rustin sure. I'm sure great. he was great, um, but it's not. That's kind of an unseen movie. Um, and so I think I think you have a three man race here. Actually, like an interesting like three man race between Paul Giamatti playing the man who smells like fish in the holdovers. <laughs> also, the working title. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. the man who smelled like fish. Uh, you know, <laughs> Cillian Murphy uh, as Robert Oppenheimer, and then Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction has it. I think could win. He could. Well, I think there's a lot of love for Jeffrey Wright and Paul Giamatti, like just, you know, kind of their journeyman actors who've been around for 30 years, you know, very active, very popular films, always, always a bridesmaid, never bride. Here's their time to shine. And they were both excellent. And, uh, you know, Cillian Murphy as Oppenheimer, well, he was certainly held the screen and he was very good and it's his signature part, but I don't, it wasn't as flashy a part uh, in some ways, you know, he didn't have the, you know, Giamatti, I don't know, they don't often give uh, Oscars to what's essentially a comic role, but he, you know, he did a lot of uh, heavy lifting 
in the in the holdovers. And Jeffrey Wright uh, is very understated in American fiction, but he's but he really embodies that character. And, yeah, I honestly I could see Domingo doing a I could see a Domingo upset, but I could also see a career appreciation Giamatti, uh, you know, win. And Murphy, I don't you know it's weird. It's star studded Oppenheimer and and Cillian Murphy's performance is haunted, but it's also this burnt out shell kind of performance where he just looks haggard and and terrified and awed by his own. I, I don't think he, I, I, I think he might lose to one of I these think other he might. Actors. It's not I, showy. I, I, you know, I think what he was doing is very yeah. subtle and very affecting and effective, but uh, it's not, I think people need a glass eye and somebody who smells like fish or like a closeted gay man who helped, you know, organize the March on Washington. So I think it's Domingo or Giamatti, if you ask me. Huh. All right. Well, uh, I, I think I think it's uh, Giamatti or, or Wright. I think Paul Giamatti's going to win. That's what I'm going to say. Um, all right. Spe- but speaking of performances in Oppenheimer, we have uh, Best uh, Supporting Actor or Actor in a Supporting Role. And Robert Downey Jr., uh, who is amazing in Oppenheimer, has got to be the prohibitive favorite here. I think you're right. I think everybody wants to see him win, too, you know? Yeah, he's. I think he's going to win. Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon. You know, you have to nominate him, um, but he's not going to win. You know, the... Uh, Ryan Gosling, you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't quote unquote, you can't snub, so to speak, Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, and then give the award <laughs> to Ryan Gosling. As hilarious that's, as that would be, that's true. <laughs> that would be a true, you know, a, a, a true. Um, I don't even want to see the Twitter discourse if he wins. <laughs> I, I pray to God he doesn't win. Um, you know, Mark Ruffalo is not going to win for poor things. You, he's you not going to win, but he's so fun in that. He was my my favorite thing about that movie. It was probably the best Ruffalo performance in, in, in a long time. The other uh, possible uh, upset pick here is Sterling K. Brown. Who's it? Magnificent. I mean, I think he's really great in that movie. He's the heart of that movie. You know, he had his abs definitely out ab Robert Downey Jr.'s abs. I don't even <laughs> saw Robert Downey Jr.'s abs in, in Oppenheimer. Sterling K. Brown acted most of that movie with his shirt off. That's true. Even more, even more than Ryan Gosling. So, but but I still think I think Downey Jr. Even more than Ryan Gosling. That's true. There are a lot of topless performances this year in Best Supporting Actor. That's interesting. Uh, oh. But not in Best Supporting Actress. No, uh, no topless. There, no. Well, Emma Stone was topless a lot, but she was a, she was a lead. So we, we have Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, <laughs> Daniel Brooks for The Color Purple, which I did not see, America Ferreira for Barbie, Give Me a Break, um, Jodie Foster. I'll bet that speech. I'll bet that speech. Yeah, but the speech is not a performance. Uh, Jodie uh, nope. Jody Foster for Night. I, you know, I, I kind of like... I don't, it's not my favorite group, honestly. I, I thought Emily Blunt was actually very good in Oppenheimer. I, but I kind of like Divine Joy Randolph for the holdovers here. I, I thought she was fantastic. I mean, I, that movie, as we've said, you know, I'm not one of my favorites, but she was absolutely great. I have no notes. Like, her performance was so yeah. subtle and understated and heartbreaking and actually quite warm and sympathetic and empathetic to other people just as much as she earned their empathy. She actually gave quite a lot of empathy to other characters. It's a beautiful role. Really good performance. Really good performance. Give it to her. That's what I say. I think we, I agree. We we even were praising that when we were dissing on the holdovers uh, the first time we talked about it. But what if Nyad walks away with both actress awards? No way. Whoa. No way. Upset. Swims away. Swims away with both. Swims them both to Cuba. <laughs> Not going to happen. Maybe. Maybe. But a doubt. Doubtful. Doubtful. I wouldn't. I. I. I'm going to. I'm going to put my money on on uh, Devon. Uh, all right, so Best Director, uh, Greta Gerwig, famously snubbed, even though she um, wasn't actually behind the camera for half of the scenes uh, of Barbie. We have uh, Justine Triet uh, for Anatomy of a Fall, the only female nominated this year. Martin Scorsese, uh, Christopher, Christopher Nolan's going to win, so let's not, let's not, <laughs> so let's, we don't have to discuss that. 
any further, although I did think Jonathan Glazer was did an extraordinary job. I think I think A24 is doing an extraordinary job getting the word out about Zone of Interest and, and making it front of mind for Academy voters so that Jonathan Glazer gets the respect and admiration that he's long been due. I mean, yeah. the guy's incredibly phenomenally talented, and this movie is just sui generis. I've never, I mean, to make a movie like this in the way that he did, I've never seen a Holocaust movie like it, so it's incredible. All right, we're gonna do a little quick, a little quick lightning round here. Uh, best animated film. I mean, they're gonna give it to the Spider Man, right? It's interesting. I mean, unless you know, again, a lot of international voters now, and everybody loves Miyazaki. No, they can't. The Boy in the Heron can't win. It was terrible. I was happy to see Robot Dreams sneak in there. The Robot Dreams is great. It hasn't really come out yet, uh, but delightful. That's a nice underdog pick. All right, uh, so let's see. Because it has a dog. It is a, uh, any movie with a dog in it is, is a good movie. Although they didn't nominate the one with the talking uh, Boston Terrier, um, <laughs> the Seth Rogen one, oh, which right. is probably <laughs> pr- probably for the best. Uh, we were talking before we I hit uh, record on this. We were talking about best visual effects, and you and I were both happy to see Godzilla minus one nominated. Yeah, on a on a dime they did those, those special effects, and and they were notable and impressive enough that they are. Hold it up against Napoleon and Mission Impossible and the creator. My, my, my complaint here is that Godzilla Minus One isn't one of the 10 movies nominated for <laughs> Next year. Maybe next year. Why not? <laughs> It'll be Godzilla X King Kong. I don't know. That's a different That's a different universe. Uh, this, Godzilla Minus One was one of my t- 10 favorite movies of last year, for sure. All right, we're going to talk about the screenplay awards real quick uh, for adapted screenplay. Oppenheimer. It's got to be Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, which was adapted from a book about Oppenheimer. Which, what's going to be the upset, Barbie? No. American fiction? No. You're like, no. It'll, be, it'll probably be Oppenheimer. Yeah, because it'll go to Nolan, and everybody wants to award Nolan. And then we have original screenplay. This is the only award that um, May-December was nominated for, even though it deserved acting awards for all three of its mains, um, and, uh, I think, uh, directing award for uh, Todd Haynes, and deserved to be in the list for Best Picture. I thought it was certainly one of the 10, 10, 10 best movies of last year. Uh, but everyone agrees that Sammy Birch's uh, screenplay was incredible, uh, and she she's getting a lot of love for that. And it may be this that may be the one nod that uh, that May December yeah. gets. I mean, if, if Bradley Cooper wins Best Screenplay for Maestro, I'm just going to quit writing. <laughs> I'm just going to quit okay, writing. But let it be known that Bradley Cooper is a 12 time Oscar nominee. All right, let that sink in. How many times was Gary Cooper nominated for an Oscar? <laughs> Right? And you, do you really think know. the two are equivalent? Maybe I'm just an old TCM fogey here, but it just seems like <laughs> it seems like a lot for the voice of Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> he's got he's got range, that's all I'm saying. He's got a nice prosthetic nose. Oh, uh, you're gonna be angry when he wins his Oscar. Has he never won? Has he has he not won? Twelve times uh nominated and yeah, he's the Susan Lucci of Oscars at this point. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't I don't quite I mean he no one's gonna say he's not a tryhard. <laughs> <laughs> I could see anatomy sneaking in and getting best screenplay, because that's one of those but I, I also see it getting uh uh it's it's up for international, right? Oh no, it didn't get Yeah, well that's the thing too. Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest are both uh nominated for Best International Film. No, it's not them, Anatomy of a Fall is not. I'm looking really? at it right now. Yeah. Yo Capitano, oh, Perfect Day, Society of the Snow, Teacher's Lounge, Zone of Interest. I see Zone of Interest getting international. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for that's sure. a lot. That's a lot. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, if you want to uh, lay some money, lay some money on May December for Best Screenplay. The Holdover Screenplay, no, nah, that's not gonna win. 
Um, mm, past lives could. That's another no. one of those like when a but, movie's but May, really but good. The writing, in, the writing in May December is so good and so subtle and so oh, layered, yeah, so no, nuanced. What a, what a what a what a great movie! It's that's my. I'm just I'm trying to pick the the upset. I totally agree with you. May December is like it's got it. It's got it locked up. But what what do you think the upset could be? Maestro, Maestro. Oh my god. <laughs> I, 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 I will throw my queso dip at the TV if my Astro wins. <laughs> Absolutely. I will, I, will, I will spill a glass of wine all over my velour bathrobe. <laughs> all right. Any other categories? Are we, did, we, did we call them all? No, I think, I think that, that's all anyone really cares about, Stephen. Uh, but the Oscars are, when are they? They're in March? They're like in March. I think it's March 10th. March 10th? It's it seems so a little late. A month from now, man. I feel like the Oscars should be over before March. They should right? absolutely March tenth, March tenth. That's that, that's that's almost twenty twenty five. I mean, come on. I know. I know. Anyway, the Oscars are March tenth. Uh, please, if you're if you're making picks in your office pool, or if you're laying odds on on uh, bets dot com or DraftKings or whatever, or, you know, with your with your local bookie in the back alley before you you throw the dice or whatever, listen to this podcast first and and tell them uh, Neil and Steven sent you. Yeah, don't blame us if you lose. Honestly. No, please, please, and and, and, and you 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 won't be able to find out where we live. We're gonna move. All right, Stephen Garrett, thank you a lot. Yeah. You've thought about me a lot, haven't you? I heard that you like my product. We can make a lot of money together. Who is the one? in charge. The best TV show I've seen so far this year is Griselda, which is airing on Netflix. It's based on the true story of a powerful female narco in Miami in the late 1970s, and it stars it stars Sofia Vergara as Griselda Blanco, and wow, she is just incredible. And the show is so fun and so exciting and so good. And Jenny Parrott wrote about it for us. Jenny is a writer and, a, more importantly, a musician and an occasional musical collaborator of mine. And she lives in Austin, Texas uh, with, both, with me. Well, she doesn't live with me, but she lives in Austin, Texas. And uh, she's here today to talk to me about Griselda. Hello, Jenny. Hi, Neil. Thanks for having me. Of course. So it's you know it's funny that um, you wrote about Griselda because I don't I didn't necessarily place you on the nexus of like uh, shows about narcos. I mean I, I love narcos and narcos Mexico. I didn't know that you had a, you had a taste for it. But so what drew you to Griselda? Well, obviously Sofia Vergara is so awesome. So I had seen the previews and I was like, wow, she looks awesome. And I also saw something on Reddit where her surviving son, spoilers, uh, sorry, <laughs> was angry at the show because it made his mom look ugly. And I was like, I have to see this. And of course, that's probably just like a great piece of press for the show that he accidentally said something kind of dumb. Yeah, so Sofia Vergara is any, anything but ugly. I mean, she doesn't. She, she is made up. She does have prosthetics on, so she doesn't exactly look like the Sofia Vergara we know from, let's say, Modern Family. But but she is she is one hot number in this thing, and she wears a lot of so revealing shiny clothes and beautiful um, necklaces. I was really drawn to the fashion. 
and I love her dark brown lipsticks. I also wear those shades. So, hola, mami. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of um, girl power is not the right way to describe it. There's a lot of strong, really strong women in this show. I mean, first of all, a lot of uh, Griselda's uh, dealers and and cohorts are uh, prostitutes from Medellin, where she, she was also once a prostitute in Medellin, and she brings them over to Miami and has them work for her, and they are all fabulous. And there's also um, this female cop. Uh, named June, who uh, who her story kind of is secondary story to you know these all these narco shows they have the narcos who are the the sort of the the money shots so to speak but then there's that there's the cop plot line but this woman who plays June is also I think really uh, kind of low key magnetic also like extremely gorgeous and uh, her you know just beautiful I'm just I, I'm just I mean I hate you know there's so that's the thing is like there's strong women for the women and there's just just endless eye candy for the men my god i just i can't get an i can't get enough of the show and in addition to all that it's also just like incredibly well written and well paced finally we get a show that's really well written yes well i started to really get into it when you're talking about like her sex worker friends from Medellin, like she other people weren't selling cocaine the way that she was. She found, you know, rich white adjacent people like tennis instructors and chefs to and aerobics sell, instructors, yeah. Yeah, to sell to the board elite and, you know, she used her sex worker friends to provide the atmosphere of like this is a a fun party and like drugs doesn't have to be scary. Of course, it gets scary, but you know, like she was intuitive business person and maybe she went to UK, UT's uh, McComb School of Business or something because like she had some she had some she had, good, she, she had good instincts. Well, you know, and the show points out, too, she was in the drug business in Medellin for years running drugs from um, Colombia to New York with her husband. But never given um, credit. But never given credit. But she knew the business. You know, she knew how the distribution networks worked she knew she knew a lot of people in the industry which is how she didn't just kind of start selling drugs in miami on on a whim it's like this it it was actually what she knew how to do and it's contested historically whether or not she was a sex worker but she had definitely been the victim of some kind of trafficking from a young age so like i think That she knows people, she knows what they're going to do and what they're thinking, and she can kind of play them. At least that's how the show shows it. And it's just, it's fun to watch. It's like, oh, she's got these evil powers. And uh oh. Yeah, she's not naive. I mean, there's no no one no one more worldly than Griselda. And what's so interesting about her is that in addition to that, she's also the mom to three teenage sons right. who are living in who are living in this mansion in Miami with all these prostitutes. What a life! It's kind of funny to watch too because usually in the show the parent is the dork and the kids are cool and they're like, "Ah, our parents are so embarrassing." They're kind of like, uh, "Is our mom killing people?" Uh, <laughs> not even is our mom killing people. Like, oh, our mom is killing people. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. not a lot of there's not a lot of mystery there, and that's the thing too. Is like this show is it's also there's a lot of intrigue and sort of business dealings, but it's also just soaked in violence. I just finished. I've only I've only seen half of it so far. I just finished episode three, and there's this great 
set piece, just like out of a out of a out of Scarface, really, where um, the the cops are about to pick up this rival drug dealer to Griselda on the street in Miami, and he and his henchmen just bust out of the car with these submachine guns, and there's this oh, yeah. huge gun battle on the streets of Miami, and it's super like exciting to watch it's like it was it was like a classic episode of miami vice there's a weapon coming that will blow you away <laughs> literally <laughs> <laughs> i've never saw anything like it and, and gary my husband was watching in the background walking back and forth with the baby and i he's not a gun guy but he knew exactly what gun it was but i'll just tell you this one's special <laughs> yeah you know you know you know what i think jenny you know what i think this this show reminds me most of all uh, and it's something that's, I think, been missing from the TV landscape. It's the sort of the golden age of The Sopranos. Yes. Right? Like the yes. quality of the acting and the writing and just the details. Like there's this scene where Griselda is going for a ride with, with one of the henchmen. She's in the passenger seat and she open, he asks her to open the glove box to get some cigarettes for him. And she does. And there's a copy of Jorge Luis Borges' Labyrinths in the glove box. Yeah. And so, um, what a detail. It's like, oh, so this is obviously a literary henchman. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think like a lot of that literature is about like freedom and world building. So I think, you know, maybe if you're a henchman and you're a, a dealer, you're like, I'm world building, man. Borges says. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, the, I, I know what the, the, the people who make the show put that in there on purpose and their world building, even like when you see a close up of like, say, June's desk, you see all the brands of like coffee and all, all the, the, the brands of like office supplies. Everything is it's just it's just research to a T. And I just I just love this show. What a what a blast it is to watch and what a um it's fun and, and exciting and tragic. Yeah. And the music just it never stops being awesome. Have you seen her sing along with Gloria in Espanol? Yes. Yeah. You, and and the, always the songs that they end the episode with, or I always watch the closing credits because the songs are so good. And yeah, I mean, it was 1978. So it was like, I would say the music is like, it, it, it's, it's not like, they're not like listening to Foreigner and Boston, you know, this is like disco and like, and like, and like Latin music, you know, this is like party, party. music. And the yeah. show really like there are moments. I mean, I don't do cocaine. I mean, tried it a couple of times back in the aughts uh, when you know in my rock and roll days. Um, but you know, it makes it look fun. Oh my god, they're doing such giant lines. I'm like, whoa! Does anyone even have any '70s Narcan? What are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, John, I mean, I can only imagine like the, the the teeth grinding that goes on at night when you're trying to come down from that shit. It's just, you know, it, it, so it's just, but it's just, uh, the show is really, it, it's not something you want to aspire to, but it is nostalgic for uh, a different, a time I, in, a, in, in a way. One other thing I'd love to point out is the brilliance of the bilingual performances too. Yeah. I mean, it, they all have different accents and I love how they know where each other is from because of the Medellin accent or some mm. other accent. And just Sofia Vergara, like just flipping back and forth and screaming at people in English and Spanish. Yeah. It's in Spanish. The show is in, is a lot of it is in Spanish. It's, it's, it's a very bilingual show. And so I feel like this show is going to have a huge international appeal. 
I can yeah. imagine that. I mean, you know, Netflix is international, and this thing's going to be a massive smash in Latin America. Any, any, anywhere. I think, I, I can't imagine there's any country anywhere that this thing's not going to be successful. And also, isn't Sofia Vergara Brazilian? I don't think so. I think she, she's not. I, I, I thought she was Brazilian. Well, any, well regardless, um, because, you know, obviously that's not a Spanish-speaking country, but what, whatever she is. She's Colombian. She's, oh. She's Colo- oh, she, oh, she, oh, she is Colombian. Yeah. Well, whatever. It is, it is the most Colombian performance of all time. She really brings it. Um, you know, this is like her signature role. I mean, and if she doesn't win an Emmy for this or at least get nominated, I would be shocked. Let's protest at the Capitol. Which which capital? The United States Capitol or the Texas Capitol or the All of them. or the Capitol in Bogota? <laughs> Let's go to Medellin, find the field big trip. building. Field, field <laughs> trip. <laughs> All right. Well, look. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, Griselda gets the highest marks from me and from Jenny Parrott, and that's not easy to do. Um, we're both very critical people. Uh, Jenny, I wanted to um, real quick before I, I let you go. You are a musician of great talent and great note and someone whose oh, who's, uh, artistic spirit I respect immensely. Um, yeah. And uh, you are uh, going to be on tour in the United States of America in the months of uh, February and March. Is that I am I correct? I will be trafficking music all <laughs> over the East Coast this month. Yeah. Yeah. So, um y- so go go to Jenny. Where you go to JennyParrot.com to find tour dates, or exactly. And there's and two where, R's and two T's in my name. Two R's and two T's. And and where where do you uh, where can you buy your new album? You can buy it on my website. Uh, we start pre sales next week. Is that JennyParrot.com? It sure is. All right. Well, Jenny Parrot is the queen pin of indie, <laughs> folk, rock, country, soul music. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the godmother of <laughs> the godmother. wild folk. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She she rules with an iron with a, with a uh, uh, iron fist and a velvet glove. Jenny, thank you so much for stopping by the show today. Thanks for having me, Neil. All right, thank you very much to the talented musician and writer Jenny Parrott for talking to me about Griselda, which is a must-watch. And it is on Netflix. Now, also thanks to Stephen Garrett for previewing the Oscars with me. The Oscars are not on uh, until March 10th, so you have a while to make your picks. But definitely listen to our opinions as a guide. We are almost never wrong about anything. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the world of books and film and streaming TV, and we bring you this podcast every week. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Original Production.